You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that specializes in music and technology. And we're continuing our bonus episodes, our rapid fire series on the things that really matter in music tech related to self-isolation, quarantine, and all the things that artists and the music industry are responding to as a result of this crazy crisis in the world. So I'm really excited today. I've got the uh, founder and CEO of Stage It, Evan Lowenstein, here with me. How are you, Evan? Good, thanks. How are you? Thanks for having me, Dimitri. Doing great. You're normally in, uh, based in LA, right? But you're in London now. Is that true or have you moved? Um, I have. I spend more time on the uh, on the East Coast now in the States, but I do have a, a, a flat, as they say, here in London. So um, when this all went down, I decided to take my... Uh, Place my bets on Boris over over Donald. I'm not sure how that's uh, how that's uh, you know sort of played out yet, but we'll find out. So I'm staying here. Well, well, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I think we'll find out in this conversation. Things are pretty hectic for you with Stage It, but let's let's just kick it off by telling listeners what Stage It is. Why don't you tell us about it? Sure, Stage It's uh, quite simply a live video streaming platform that enables performers, really of any kind, but predominantly musicians. Uh, to give their fans interactive and intimate experiences um, that are a premium quality that that fans are willing to spend uh, quite a bit of money on. So that's really what it is. And uh, it's is it ticketed? Is it tip jars? How does that aspect work? It is. It's both actually. We um, you know there's a few things that we've done. In, um, we have a ticketing system and a tip jar. Um, look, the overall you know sort of thing with Stage It has been that the we came into the the marketplace and. The internet has largely been predicated on the notion that every everyone should be able to experience everything on their own time, and it should be free. And um, I really thought that was that was not the right way to do it for for the relationship between an artist and fans. So we've largely frustrated the internet because we've said um, that not everybody can experience everything. We give artists the ability to limit the number of tickets they can have to a show. We say that we don't archive any experience. So if it's at seven thirty tonight, then if you miss it, you miss it. And we have no free shows on stage. We believe that an artist's time is worth at least ten cents. So uh, we we have a minimum, you know, requirement for fans to at least pay one note, which is ten cents. Um, and you know, so we're trying to use all this modern technology to bring back that sense of mystery and romance that I think was lost between an artist and a fan. Um, so gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So how how else is Stage It different from other live streaming music live streaming services that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, so some of what I just was talking about also, I mean, our, our platform has been really geared, every single, you know, sort of nuance that we have is really about understanding um, the relationship between the artist and the fan. Um, you know, I myself was an artist, uh, so I've been, I, I'm, a, I'm an artist and I'm a fan. I've, I've played the clubs, I've played Madison Square Garden, I've been, you know, in the audience at all of these venues. Um, and so this platform is really, um, you know, thought out. What, what An example is that on every show, we give an artist up to 20 minutes of an encore. At that point, we actually cut them off. How are we cutting off an artist? How would you do that? Well, you know, in this space, when when an artist is really interacting on an intimate level with their fan base, it's oftentimes hard to sort of walk away. So in that regard, Stage It plays the role sort of of the manager, agent, publicist that says, hey, Evan would love to stay, um, but he's really got to go. Because our data also shows us that it's better to play three 30-minute shows uh, than one 90 minute show, both in terms of fans, uh, reporting, uh, you know, sort of a good experience and what they'll spend, spend, uh, on the experience. 
That makes a lot of sense. You know, the other thing is stage it's been around for, for quite a while, several years. Um, uh, are there differences in, in kind of the, the feature set that you guys released because of the timing of when you started versus other companies that have come on board more recently? Yeah, that's an excellent, excellent point. Um, look, yeah, we, we, we came out of beta in March of 2011. Um, and, you know, we were way, way, way ahead of the curve. And, and I, I don't say that as a compliment. Some people are like, oh, you're patting yourself on the back. Not even remotely. It's like standing up on a wave 10 seconds before the, you know, standing on the surfboard 10 seconds before the wave comes. Um, it's not cool. It's not, it's not like a good look. So um, <laughs> I've, I've learned there's a huge difference between knowing when something's coming and when it's arriving. You know, I, 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 I believe a cure for cancer is coming. I just don't know when it's arriving. I believe flying cars are coming. I just don't know when it's arriving, right? So um, I, I very much, you know, a lot of the things we did back in the day, people ask us today, how come you have a currency called notes? Why don't you just say dollars? Well, 2010 and nine, when I'm running around with artists and talking to them about this, the last thing they want to hear is about money, money. I don't want to take money from my fans. No, no. So, you know, that's why we built the way things the way we did. And a lot of it still holds up today. Um, but if I could, you know, if we made if we made some changes here in the future, I think uh, now that we now that we're ramping up and we're seeing a lot of success, there's a lot of feature sets that we, we will make uh, changes that reflect the times a little bit more than than what they did, you know, ten years ago when we built this. Yeah, I got you, and I hear what you're saying about uh, about missing the wave. Um, you you can certainly be be ahead of the market, and that sounds like cutting edge in some situations. But when you've got a startup, uh, being ahead of the market means you either have to move the entire billions of people market forward to catch up with what you're doing or wait. And in a way, it's almost like you waited. And now we'll, we'll talk in a little bit about what's happening with coronavirus. But before we get there, are there specific genres or even demographics of fans that are especially popular on stage it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think predominantly the we've always seen the person who can sort of do it by themselves. So so if you're sort of, you know, if you're in a band and you're, you know, the drummer, um, and you don't sing, it might not um, play as well. I mean, you get, unless you're really creative and person, you know, personable, et cetera. But you know, if you're, if you're that person with a guitar or, uh, or a piano and you're singing, um, I think it's going to play a little bit better, but we also, we've seen, I mean, outside of even, uh, even music now, I mean, we've seen people doing, and I, I mean, over the years too, but now we're seeing again, uh, magicians, people, you know, how to bake gluten-free bread, uh, yoga instructors from Brazil, but, um, you know, we still, predominantly uh, focus on that relationship between the, you know, the artist uh, and the fan. And that's sort of what also separates us from so many other platforms that are trying to be everything to everybody. We're really focused on live only, you know, intimate premium, that sort of content that fans are spending money on. So, um, yeah, so I don't think necessarily there's a genre, I mean, whether you're heavy metal or you're hip hop, we've seen it all, but we, but we also don't have enough data, I think across the board to tell you, um, you know, which one seems to be doing better? It seems like some, you know, it's on an artist case by case basis. Gotcha. And do the performers tend to bring their audiences, or are there stage it fans that are looking for bands to come on to stage it? Yeah, they do. So really, we, we again going back to when we started, you know, artists didn't want to create yet another profile on another site. You know, they had already done the MySpace and the Facebook and all the other things. So we really positioned ourselves as a tool. We said, listen, you have all these likes, followers, subscribers, and friends. So we're not going to take up too much of your time here. Just bring them to us, monetize, because we're not afraid of that word, um, especially when we explain to artists that 
you're not about charging your fans. We're, we're giving your fans the opportunity to pay you. And we have all the data that shows even when a fan comes in for 10 cents, which a majority of you know, them do when you have a pay what you can model, they still spend over $15 per experience. But things are changing now with our traffic. Um, and we always were hoping for this inflection point. So now, even though you've brought your audience to see your show, um, there are other artists, you know, somebody, you know, last night, we, I think we had 12 shows uh, concurrently happening, you know, at, I think eight o'clock. So we're starting to see multitude of shows happening, you know, 40 or 50 within a certain block of, of, of time. And so that we're seeing a lot of cross pollination now. And I think that's a lot of artist discovery, something that we never really experienced. And we're going to make some changes to, uh, to help further support that as well. You know, let's jump into it. I'm going to skip ahead, and we can fill in some holes later. But but let's let's just go straight to the 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 elephant in the room. What has the impact of the COVID nineteen pandemic had on stage? It. Well, I'm going to tell you in, in some artists in their own words because uh, um, I think it's even more powerful, uh, and it's and it's somewhat painful, but it's the reality and it's the truth. And I've had uh, probably five you know sizable working class artists that. Uh, that we probably all know their names and they were in bands uh, told me over the last you know couple weeks um, I never would have used stage it not unless I was forced to um, but mostly they are they are saying that they just didn't you know that this isn't the place for them this isn't their idea uh, they didn't really understand what it was now that they've used it um, they're absolutely blown away and some of these artists are making ten thousand dollars per show I paid uh, an artist over fifty thousand uh, dollars in the last ten days. Um, from shows that he's done at four or five shows. Um, and, um, and I think they're now saying we got it now with this, we've crossed this sort of Rubicon, the threshold of like that first time we realized that, you know, Oh, a meeting could be a phone call. And I think we're really seeing that. And I don't pretend to think, nor does this artist that, uh, or several of these artists that they're going to be playing three shows a week on stage after COVID-19 is gone. Um, but I think that we're going to see many artists continue to engage with fans, um, via platforms like ours um, and because because there's a few things that we allow artists to do. No matter how much you tour, if you do 220 dates a year, there's still markets you don't hit, right? So the internet proliferates into areas, uh, or, or, you know, you can get, you can get, you know, I can list Spotify is in areas where people, artists aren't touring. And so if I'm listening, if an artist is, a fan is listening to my music, why not give them some sort of experience? And I think, um, I think a lot of artists are realizing too that there's a lot, there's a lot of um, a lot of fans who also want to contribute, um, and they're realizing that it's not the money isn't really such a sort of bad bad word, um, especially when you're a fan that lives in a market that has no connection to an artist. So that's sort of by tipping, you know, your name gets put up there, and the artist sees you and might say thank you, Dimitri, and that feels incredible if you're in some small town to be able to tip your favorite artist and have them recognize you. So. Um, the, the numbers have swelled tremendously. I'll just, I'll throw that out. Um, by March, uh, I think 14th, all of a sudden, or 14th or 15th, I think we did almost $100,000 that day. Um, we've now done a little 850000 in the last, uh, I think I just woke up this morning to see some newer numbers. So we're, we're looking at, we'll, we'll do close to a million this month. Last year, we did 500000 in revenue entirely. Our biggest year ever was $1.6 So this is pretty crazy. Wow. And, and what is the split with Stage It and the artist? So we used to have, it's a great question. We used to have a sliding scale. Today we're paying 80% across the board to everyone um, of tickets and tips. Um, we used to have a sliding scale. And the idea was to be sort of commensurate with the real world where the more you made, the more you, you, you took. Um, 
And so uh, it was anywhere from 63 to 83%. So if an artist still earns that 83, we're going to let them have it too. But uh, uh, we sort of swapped that out. I can get, I can get more granular on that if you want. But right now, the, the bigger sort of, the big headline is that we're, we're paying 80% across the board, which is more than we ever have been able to. And we're you know doing the best we can to support artists right now. This pandemic has really made a huge difference uh, for music live streaming and, and for stages specifically. Um, it's interesting to think about this just on a conceptual level that artists, fans, I should say, are were kind of resistant to the idea of seeing a concert uh, through the through the screen of a computer or a phone or, or, or whatever when the the real concert experience is about all the other things the sounds uh, the ambient sounds around the, the the drinking the the opportunities to to flirt or date or whatever and to dance and to be among a sweaty group of people maybe or whatever um, and it's like the pandemic has almost removed one of the barriers to this concept it's kind of interesting. This is one of the few areas where I think the fans have been way ahead of the artists. The fans have been craving this. And one of the things to be clear is we have never attempted to replace a live show um, ever. I hope we never do. Um, our tagline has always been a front row seat to a backstage experience. We, that's why we keep our shows to 30 minutes in length. We encourage artists to do shorter shows. If an artist reach out, reaches out to me and says, hey, man, I want to do an hour and a half show, I push back as much as I possibly can. Certainly from a technological standpoint, we can do that. We don't like to do that because we're, we're not trying to replace a live show. These are these are sort of micro experiences that are short, that are fun for the fans. Um, and we're not trying to replace that. But it's funny you should mention that because we have a feature called Hitchhiking in which fans can buy tickets for other people, for other fans. And it's highly social. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we have a lot of fans over the years who have met not on stage and then would meet in the real world. Um, and I remember back like years ago, we, our first stage, a couple got married. And, um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's very social. And I think that, um, I think the artists were very resistant to stage it for a long time because they thought exactly as you were saying that, oh, well, I, I, I live tour, but we, that's never, that's what I mean by a lot of these artists saying I never would have done it. Cause a lot of them did think that, but now they realize this is like desktop rock. We're not trying to be a live show. Yeah, interesting. And, and uh, you know, I think the other side of the resistance that existed pre-COVID-19 was like what you said on the, on the, uh, on the artist side, where it's, where it's about how you collect or ask for money. And that aspect also, the pandemic has also made people less hung up about that because like live ticket sales immediately tanked. And, uh, you know, much of the music industry you know, just halted to a complete stop as a result. And so, and also, you know, people like Amanda Palmer and other folks have talked about over the last several years about this idea that it's okay to ask for money, but this doesn't even, to me, it doesn't even feel like asking for money. It's like, there's much more of a clear value exchange. Oh, you, you're stuck in the house. You'd love to do something musical. You love these artists or these bands or whatever. And you would buy a ticket to a show. You can't buy a ticket to a show now. So you do this experience instead. And people are like, okay, cool. That's exactly right. And it's funny you mentioned that because um, I still tell artists to this day that our platform does all the work for them. For them. That you, you can sit there and say, and, and we're seeing artists, oh, you don't have to give me money. You don't have to. They're still doing it. And it's fine because StageIt has a ranking system. So the moment you enter the room and you put even 10 cents in, you're given a fan rank. And so it is built around like where you are in the top tipper ranking and fans like to be in the top five or top 10. And we encourage artists to say, look, if you do, 
tip over this amount of money. Everyone who tips over this amount will get this, or my top couple tippers will get, you know, a Skype, a one-on-one five-minute Skype call, or, you know, sign this or that. And so um, for years, that's why we built in our model, also pay what you can. Um, unlike Radiohead, which came a little bit after us on their pay what you want, we believe it's pay what you can. It's not about what you want. It's really like, look, if you can't afford it, then, then we understand that. So come in for 10 cents or have someone else buy you a ticket or call us or email us and we'll get you into a show for free and we'll pay the artists ourselves. Like we've always been, been, you know, we're big believers that money should not become between a fan and their ability to consume or enjoy content. We've never, you know, done that. Um, but at the same time, there are premium experiences and some artists do limit the number of, of shows. So we encourage them to do a variety of different types of experiences. Um, but also, um, again, mentioning in terms of the social sort of aspects of it, it's a, it's, it, we, we're seeing that we like to still do the dirty work for the artists uh, and with a ticketing system. I mean, how many people have a ticketing and a tip jar? And that's because we tell artists you can make a suggested donation, but let your fans come in for as little as 10 cents on our pay what you can model. Give them the chance that if they're enjoying themselves, they'll tip more. And we're, it's, it's always been crazy. We're just seeing more shows now than ever. It's funny when I asked you about kind of the, the ticketing and the tip jars, those are the obvious ones. But as you've talked, it sounds like there's some other little things in here as well. You mentioned this idea of, what do you call them? The, the, the Skype calls, the VIP type experience. What do you call that within stages? Yeah, so we, those are top tipper rewards. So when you come into the room, fans start to fill out extra profiles and more information, like what their shirt size is or whatever it is. So we encourage artists to do that. We also have the ability to sell merch directly through the site. It's been broken, but now it's going to be fixed again soon. Um, I mean, no one's touched it uh, in quite some time. And um, we're going to, we, we have a lot of artists also that create and are seeing it again. Like Jarrett, Jarrett Reddick from uh, Bowling for Soup over the years um, has used uh, Stage It and um, has made t-shirts for specific shows, like for the show tonight for March 30th oh, or March, cool. you know, April 15th or whatever. Um, he'll make shows, he'll make t-shirts and you have, you have a, sites that'll let you do that where there's no upfront cost and fans can buy 40 fans can buy a t-shirt and it's just pure profit. Hey, so there are a lot of artists who are probably looking into live streaming for the first time right now and maybe their teams, managers, labels, whatever are listening to this as well. What should an artist have in place for them to be ready to start streaming on stage it? For, most important thing, no matter what service you use is, is good internet speed. Um, uh, in particular upload speed. Um, for stage it beyond that, you know, just a laptop is all you really need that as a bare minimum, um, with a camera obviously. And, uh, and, um, you know, that's all you really need. There's other, you can add, uh, you know, uh, other software like OBS or external cameras or uh, microphones or uh, any sort of, you can run through a Neve console if you want it, whatever sort of gear you want to use, that's no problem. Um, but you know, if, if there are managers or agents and listening, another huge point of differentiation they should also understand is that into stage it again it's not about millions of eyeballs we have fans spending money so if you want to if your artist just wants to be able to go out and brag that they had thirty thousand concurrent views or three hundred thousand stage is not not your platform um and we're we're about you know creating that sort of intimate again experience and intimate is different for other people if you're the rolling stones and you're going to come on stage and have five thousand people in a room that may be intimate for them um, but for the most part, we're, we're much more interested in seeing, uh, creating experiences that are worthwhile where the fan will spend over $15 per experience, which is what we're seeing them do. Do you need to have an existing fan base to be successful on stage it? 
Yeah, that's going back to a question you mentioned earlier a little bit. Yeah, you know, to be successful is a hard one because if you have 20 fans and and they come in and you make, you know, 50 bucks, I get, that's successful for you. So I'm not really sure where that line comes in. But uh, but yeah, I mean, um, I think an existing fan base is very helpful. But now we are seeing, as I mentioned, some cross-pollination across the site. But uh, yeah, I think this is about monetizing your existing fan base and perhaps some some new folks as well. Gotcha. So it's probably a lot of the traditional or, or current uh, standard music industry practices of building up your email list and building up your socials and having interactivity uh, throughout you know all the platforms in order to get people to move over to stage it and watch a show. Yeah, but now's a, now's the greatest time we've ever seen because for artists it, it, it put up a show on stage it i mean we're, we saw I, I i featured there's an artist coming up that had uh three shows and one of them i featured and the other two i didn't the one that was featured sold 430 tickets the ones uh that did not were about 150 and 180 and it was mm-hmm. just really interesting to uh, see the difference because it was on the home page and we're having so many people that are just showing up saying i want to watch some you know some content so I think it, you know it's been really helpful, and people might listening might go four hundred and thirty. Well, you know these that that show uh, probably made ten thousand dollars. So people have to really think about you know the numbers are, are large. They've always been large on a on a per fan base at least fifteen dollars per per fan, and sometimes a lot higher. So when you're doing a show as an artist, what are some things you need to do during the show to kind of make it successful, attract and retain uh, audience, uh, that kind of stuff? I think the first thing you want to realize is that this is, it's not a live show, but it's a serious experience and fans are showing up and they're ready to be entertained. And so that doesn't mean you need to be all, you know, that doesn't mean that raw doesn't play. Right. So have a good time. I mean, even if you pick up your laptop, walk through the the house, if your kids barge in or the dog barge in, that's, that's fine. Like you don't need to, that doesn't, you know, preclude you from being real. Um, But I would, I would consider my backdrop, what what the, the wall behind you looks like. Um, how you might even enter a show. Sometimes we tell artists, a lot of times we tell them as a tip, like start the show off, maybe have some you know music playing and then take the, take the stage, so to speak. Like, you know, start thinking about things differently. Um, interact with the fans, ask the fans where they're tuning in from um, and, uh, you know, take song requests. Let them be a part of the show. They love it and you'll make more money too. Cool. A lot of our listeners are startup founders. I was going to ask you what were some of the most pivotal moments in the life of Stageit, like raising a certain amount of money or partnerships or some media attention. I'm wondering if your answer is actually just going to be COVID nineteen. Yeah. It's, well, you know, it certainly it certainly probably will be. But I mean, when we first started in March, of, you know, we came out of beta in March 2011 at South by Southwest. We were sort of industry darling for a little bit. I mean, Jimmy Buffett had invested, Sean Parker, Strauss Zelnick, Van Toffler. We had a lot of, a lot of big industry names sort of, oh, this is great. And we won the top prize in Medem in 2000, I think 13 and Billboard recognized us as a, a thing. Fast Company named us top 10 most innovative. So we were sort of like ramping up and we got all these acquisition offers. And um, But I think I, you know, I resisted all these people who wanted to change our model. So I think the We've never pivoted in terms of, uh, and I know it's been frustrating for a lot of people, but we have not pivoted or changed our business model one iota since we started. Um, and uh, I think, to your point, uh, COVID nineteen has uh, sort of, um, I think, helped us in such a huge way because 
had we changed our model and been like free and tried to compete with YouTube or Twitter or Facebook or anything, that's where these artists would be. I think artists are telling us, this is the only place we can go that does have a ticketing system or a paywall. So the thing that we were so afraid of for so long is now saving us. And so, um, you know, that that's, I think to your answer, yes, I would say this has been the most, uh, uh, definitely the biggest inflection point we've ever seen. You could have, you could have just as easily run out of steam though, right? If this hadn't come up or if you hadn't kind of endured as much, um, stage, it could have just, uh, withered away. Right. I mean, how did you make the decision to, to keep going and not pivot when there wasn't something like this happening? Well, it wasn't easy. And I pissed off a lot of uh, investors and board members over the years. But basically, in 2015, um, I stopped taking a salary. So that probably helped a lot of people. Um, huh. and, uh, and since then, I've funded, put in my own probably another $50,000 just to keep the lights on over the last couple of years. Um, and I've invested way more than that to start as well. So I've sort of put my money where my mouth is um, over the over the years, and um, and uh, you know I wrote a letter to the board saying, I, guys, we're just too far in front of it, so we're going to pull the oars in and we're going to let the boat float. And I know that's uh, not not very exciting to anybody, um, but no, we're not attracting any capital right now, and uh, it's certainly not a way to, to thrive. But we need to survive, and so um, I had basically one full time employee that uh, was sort of the the office manager who kind of took care of everything and watched the house um and he and i you know i was working for free and doing you know only a, only a couple hours of work a week and up until very recently and so i was still doing investor updates and telling people that not much to say we're still waiting and i actually thought that was going to change with uh, with the global warming i thought oh maybe some artists might say i'll do one less you know you know one less couple you know show and i'll maybe do something on stage at to be a little bit more environmentally friendly. But I had no idea that uh, this is what it was going to take. Are you thinking that this will change the culture of, of live streaming going forward once we get this this uh, this health crisis under control? Without a doubt. There's absolutely no going back. Uh, now, again, as I mentioned earlier, as I, as I was saying, you know, this is this is when we first realized that, that, you know, that meeting could be a phone call or that you can actually do. There's a lot of things you sort of realize, oh, in these moments. So there's no doubt. I think we're going to learn a lot of things um, in life, not just from stage it, right? There's some changes that are going to happen. I don't think that the artists that are playing two or three times a week right now are going to continue to do it at that rate. I don't think that, you know, um, it's, it's that, that we'll be seeing it, you know, the same way. But I definitely think that you're going to have, you know, audience members and fans at home saying, hey, you know, you're not touring to our market. We now know that you can give us that, that stage it experience or that, that, you know, live interactive something online. So please, when this goes away, don't forget about us. So I think that, I think you're going to see, uh, you're going to see that, that change for sure. Well, this has been a really interesting conversation. I, I should probably let you get back to all the customer service and tech problems or or solutions you're working on, given how popular Stageit has just become. I've been talking to Evan Lowenstein from Stageit, stageit.com, a front row seat to a backstage experience is how they call it. Um, Evan, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate you being on the, sh- on the podcast. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for listening to the Music Tectonics podcast. Please hit subscribe. We're doing lots of episodes right now on music live streaming, remote collaboration, ways of making music when you're stuck at home. And uh, if you go to musictectonics.com and sign up for our newsletter, you can also find out about our uh, weekly Wednesdays 
Uh, every Wednesday in April at noon Eastern time, we are doing uh, online meetups, continuing from the meetups we did during the week that South by Southwest was supposed to happen this year. And they've been hugely popular and uh, getting not only curated programming to kick off the conversation, but curated audiences. So join us there. Go to musictectonics.com. Thanks so much for listening. You're listening to Music Tectonics.